I was really worried, but uh, you guys came through. Uh, uh, if you are able to, would you continue standing and also grab your copy of God's Word and turn with me in your Bible to 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3, we continue our way through the book of 1 Peter, and uh, we will begin reading in verse 13. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 13. Stand with a sense of honor that God has spoken to us here in His Word today. Listen to God's word. Now, who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame, for it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. Thank you very much. You may be seated. Let's pray. Oh, to grace, how great a debtor. Father, because of our sin against you, we have a debt that that we could never repay. God, we thank you for the grace that you have shown us through Christ, coming and living a perfect life, dying on the cross for our sins and rising from the dead so that we would have hope. Hope in the midst of whatever trials and difficulties and sufferings we may be facing in this life. Because Jesus is alive, we have this living hope. God, we thank you that you didn't leave us alone in our sin, cut off from you, but you have provided a way for us to have hope. So Lord God, I ask now that you be glorified through the preaching of your word, so that every heart might confess that Christ is Lord. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. What is your greatest Fear. If I think about that question for too long, I start to get really fearful. Uh, I think some of our greatest fears often revolve around maybe something terrible happening to our families, to our loved ones, to our friends, maybe to our kids or grandkids or great-grandkids. What's your greatest fear? Megan and I were talking about that this week, and we began to get really fearful as we were talking about what some of these fears might be. I also want to ask you, what's your greatest hope? Fear and hope. Two of probably the greatest, if not the strongest emotions that we can have. Few emotions are really more powerful than hope. Perhaps maybe you can remember a time when you were sort of expecting something good to happen. I remember listening to an evangelist talk about how hope often few things can crush one more than when your hope fails. Maybe you uh, applied for a job and your application got rejected. Maybe you went to a doctor and you got news of a sickness, of cancer, disease that had returned. Uh, News that you were not expecting and your hope seems lost. 
Friends, one of the greatest blessings that the gospel offers is hope. The good news about Christ crucified and Christ risen from the dead. One of the greatest blessings that comes from placing your faith in Christ and living for him. One of the greatest blessings is hope. Uh, an evangelist by the name of Rico Tice put it this way. The, the hope that the gospel brings is a hope worth having. It's one that's true. It's not fantasy, but it's reality. It's a hope that delivers. It delivers on its promises. It's one that is worthy of all of the effort, all of the sacrifices that we make. A hope that will be better than anything we can imagine. And that's what Christianity promises. Friends, Christianity is not about a feeling. It's not about a blind faith. No, it's a joyful expectation that's based on true and real events. And it changes everything about our present, but also about our future. And, and you know, that's what Peter has been showing us over and over throughout his letter here. Peter is showing us, especially here in chapter 3, that, that even though we have a genuine hope, a, a living hope as he's described elsewhere, a living hope because Jesus has conquered sin and death, that doesn't mean then that everything in life is going to be perfect and easy. Anybody testify to that? It doesn't mean that you're never going to face hardship. Peter shows us here that despite, though, what your life may look like in the moment, whether good or whether bad, whether times of suffering or an absence of suffering, we are always to be prepared to share the reason for our hope. And so, friend, whatever situation you find yourself in today, do you have hope? Are, are you able to explain to those around you the reason for your hope? What we've seen over and over and over again as we've worked our way through First Peter over the last few weeks and months now is how we are to live this sort of beautiful life before the Lord and before the watching world. How do we live as these elect exiles? And now he's continuing that. He's continuing to explain how we live in such a way. And in this final section of chapter two to verse to chapter four, he's now explaining how we live this way, how we are to respond to suffering in a Christ honoring way. How do we do that? How do we respond to the difficulties that we face in our life? How do we honor Christ in the midst of suffering and trials and difficulties? How do we honor Christ in this life? Well, ultimately, it's, it's by having hope in Him. You see that in verse 15, right? Uh, that, that we honor the Christ, Christ, the Lord, as holy, and we're to be able to do what? Always being ready to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the hope that is in you. So friends, as we come to our text this morning, we're going to see how we honor Christ in the midst of suffering. First of all, we see that in verses 13 uh, through 15. How do we honor Christ in the midst of suffering? Honoring Christ in the midst of suffering. He begins here by telling them, here's how you can honor Christ in the midst of difficulties. Here's how you can honor Jesus when things in life don't go the way you expect. No matter who you are in this world, 
this last year and a half has not gone the way any of us have expected, right? But here Peter is showing us how we can still honor Jesus in the midst of whatever trials and difficulties and hardships we find ourselves in. He, he starts off, now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? So he says that, that, that if that one of the ways that we honor him is by continuing to be zealous for what is good. Going back in the previous verses, in, in verses 10 through 12, remember, he's quoting from Psalm 34, which talked about doing good and, and turning away from evil, seeking after peace and keeping our tongue from evil. And Peter says that if you do those things, these things, that, these actions that ultimately proceed from and flow out of our faith and our hope in Jesus, he's saying, what can harm you? And you know, you, you, you can almost see Peter's first uh, readers kind of looking at each other, right? He says, now who is there to harm you if you're zealous for what is good? You can almost see the, the, the churches that he's writing to in the dispersion looking at each other puzzled. What can harm us, Peter? Peter, have you lost your mind? There is, there's quite a bit that can harm us. Almost everything can harm us. The, the government can harm us. The emperor can harm us. In fact, many of them have already sort of begun to, to be harmed or, or begun to be ostracized by the culture around them, looked down upon by society. What can harm us, Peter? Quite a lot. Almost everything can harm us. But then he goes on and, and he says in verse 14, but even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be you will be blessed. Hang on, Peter. You just said in verse thirteen that 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 who's there to harm us? But then in verse fourteen, you say even if you suffer. What's Peter? What's Peter referring to here? What is the harm that he's referring to in verse thirteen? Some have, I think, mistakenly taken this to, to mean that in our present earthly life, if we just live a, a good enough life, a godly and righteous life, then God will bless you and you will not suffer. I think that way of thinking is absolutely divorced from reality and the brokenness of this world that we live in, right? So that clearly can't be what Peter is talking about because then he goes on and he talks about when you suffer for righteousness' sake in verse 14. So what is he referring to there? Well, it seems like he's certainly not talking about if you live a good life, that you'll be blessed. Because he goes on and he talks about Jesus, right? And he talks about Jesus suffering and dying. And if ever there were someone who did not deserve to suffer, it wasn't you. It was Jesus who was sinless, and yet he suffered. Or, or you go back and you... You look at the martyrs in, in, in the early church. You look at, you think of, of Stephen in Acts 7, right? He was righteous. He trusted the Lord. But he was martyred for being faithful to Jesus. Or you go back and you read about the martyrs in church history like Perpetua and William Tyndale and John Huss. Did they suffer? Were they martyred because they were not living righteous lives? No, no, that's not the harm that Peter is speaking about. The harm that Peter is speaking about here in verse 13, he's referring to the future judgment death. And he's saying, he's saying here that, that if you live faithfully for the Lord here and now, that there's nothing 
that anyone can ultimately do that will bring you harm on that day of judgment. Similar to what Jesus himself says in Matthew chapter 10, verse 28. He says, do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Peter is, what he's saying here, he's not saying that, that you're going to escape suffering. Rather, he's reassuring his listeners, his readers, and he's reassuring us today that nothing can ultimately harm those who are trusting in Jesus as our hope. So friends, the, the suffering that, that you may face today, the suffering you may face tomorrow, or maybe the suffering that you face daily for the rest of your life, is actually temporary. Because on that day of judgment, if you have trusted in Christ and you have been faithful to Him on that last day, God will deliver you. And that deliverance lasts for all eternity. Why? Because Jesus has fully and finally defeated sin and death. So that's how, that's how we can have hope in the midst of suffering. We can have hope that no one will triumph over God's people on the final day. And so that's how we can honor Jesus in the midst of suffering in this life. Continue to be zealous for what is good. Continue to serve Him faithfully. Live these beautiful lives that's a testimony to the transforming power of the gospel in your life. John Owen is a, is a theologian that we've named our son Owen after. And he has a quote that I read this week. He says, there is more glory under the eye of God in the sighs, in the groans, in the mournings of poor souls filled with the love of Christ than in the thrones and diadems of all of the monarchs of the earth. In other words, he's saying there's more glory in the eye of God in the sights, uh, in, in our difficulties, in our struggles, our trials, in living for Him, than in all of the wealth and power this world and the kingdoms of this world can afford. So how do we honor Jesus? How do we honor Christ in the midst of suffering? We remain zealous for what is good. Or think of elsewhere in the New Testament where we're called to not grow weary of doing good. It's so easy to grow weary of doing good, isn't it? Seeking to be faithful to Jesus. And then we get discouraged. But friends, take hope. Continue to serve the Lord honorably, honorably because Peter says you will be blessed on that final day. You will be blessed when we receive that future inheritance that's kept in heaven for us. Maybe that blessing might take shape in some form here in this life. Presently. But ultimately, you'll be blessed for all eternity. Where there will be no sin. Where there will be no sickness. There will be no death. There will be no brokenness. So that's how we begin to honor Christ in the midst of our suffering. We remain faithful to Him. We continue to do good on His behalf. And, and, and now as He... Uh, as he continues his, his train of thought throughout these verses, we, we see in verse 15, he says, but in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy. Always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the hope that is in you, 
yet do it with gentleness and respect. And, and right before that, at the end of 14, he says, have no fear of them, nor be troubled. Or is he saying, don't, don't, don't fear these people who are, who are, uh, who are attacking you, who are ostracizing you, maybe marginalizing you, looking down upon you because you're a follower of Jesus. In other words, he's saying what? We are to not, we're not to fear them. So how do we honor Jesus? We do not fear. In the midst of our suffering, in the midst of our remaining zealous for what is good, in the midst of not growing weary of doing good, how do we honor Jesus? By not fearing. So we honor the Lord. We honor Jesus by not fearing. Have no fear nor be troubled. Remember, Peter has spoken to fear a number of times already in this letter, right? And when he is talking about who we are to fear, ultimately, who is he referencing that fear? Well, ultimately to fear God, right? To reverently serve him and worship him. We're to fear God alone, fear God ultimately. Because no one can ultimately harm believers. So we should not fear nor be troubled. And friends, that's an incredible exhortation, isn't it? That Peter has for us here, it's incredible. He's saying because of the hope that, that we have, we're not to fear harm, nor are we to be troubled. Because of our faith in Jesus, because of what he's done in saving us from our sins, we have a living hope that is this powerful. Friends, the, the, the hope that you have, friends, trusted in Jesus, the hope that you have because of your faith in Jesus, is it that powerful to keep you from your greatest fears in this life? It should. Because that's the power of the gospel. The power of the gospel and the hope that you have in Christ, it is that powerful to keep you from giving in to your greatest and, and, and how do we not fear? Well, now, now we, we see how he begins to explain how we not fear. Verse 15, but in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy. So how do we not fear? How do we stand firm and have hope in the midst of this world? By honoring the Lord Jesus Christ as holy. So how do we deal with that fear? How do When you know that, that people will laugh at you at, at your work, or, or at your school, or at your at the ball fields, because you follow Jesus. How do you not give in to fear when you know that that you'll be pressured into some action that goes against your conscience, and maybe even goes against what God has clearly revealed in His Word? How, how do we deal with with loss and and slander, or or being marginalized for being Christ's followers? Those were all issues that Peter's hearers. We're, we're already facing and suffering through, and we're only going to get worse. And, and Peter actually warns them that more is coming. More suffering is coming. So how do we stand firm in, in hope, knowing that your stand for Christ will cost you? It will cost you your reputation. Maybe it will cost you a promotion. Maybe it will cost you a, a, a good grade in school. How do we honor Jesus and stand firm? Well, well, Peter answers here by quoting from Isaiah 8, verse 13. And so he's quoting from Isaiah 8, verse 13, but, but instead of saying honor, uh, uh, 
uh, honor just the Lord as holy. Notice what he says here. He says, honor Christ the Lord as holy. In other words, Peter is encouraging us to honor Christ as holy, fearing him alone. Why? Because he is Lord. Now, that may not seem like a big deal to us. Right. We, we have uh, we have signs and we we we've seen uh, statements that, that say, you know, Christ is Lord. And, and Jesus saves yesterday. At, at about 1 a.m., I was driving back from the awful Giants game in San Francisco. Won't get into that. How terrible it was to see the Giants lose. But there's a huge sign uh, lit up at night outside of Livermore that says, Jesus saves. Now, we read that and we think, well, yeah, that's not a big deal. But for Peter's listeners, for him to, to say this, this is an incredibly big deal. They would have suffered for claiming that Jesus saves. They would have suffered for claiming that Jesus is Lord and not Caesar is Lord. And so what Peter is doing here is he's quoting and alluding to Acts, I mean, Isaiah 8, verse 13. Isaiah 8, verse 13 reads this way, but honor the Lord, all caps, Lord, Yahweh of hosts, him you shall honor as holy. Let him be your fear and let him be your dread. Lord there, all caps in Isaiah 8, is a reference to Yahweh. So here, what, what, what Peter is doing is he's reminding them and showing them that Jesus is Lord. Jesus is divine. He is the divine Messiah. He is the divine Lord. So not only would this statement that Peter is writing here, not only would it be upsetting to the Roman emperors, but it also would have been upsetting to the Jews. And he's encouraging his readers, continue to honor Christ as holy. Continue to fear him alone. Fear the Lord, not those who are harming you. So how can you stand firm? How can, how, how can we stand firm in our day? We continue to fear the Lord ultimately. We continue to honor Jesus as our Messiah, as our Savior, and as our Lord. What, what does that look like? Well, I think you need to ask yourself, does Jesus have your ultimate allegiance? Are you ruled by King Jesus? Do you honor Jesus as holy? Do you stand in, in honor of, of who he is as the Lord of the entire universe? As the only one who can save you from your sins? Do you worship and serve his sovereign rule in your life? Do you do that in your life? I think some of us, we quickly answer yes. What does your schedule say? What does your bank account say? What do your actions say? What does your church commitment say? What does your behavior and your speech say? What does the media, the media you consume say? Do you honor Christ the Lord as holy? Friends, think about what this does in your fight against sin. When you're saying that Jesus is Lord, think about what this does. When you're tempted to sin, when you're tempted to lie, when you're tempted to lust, when you're tempted to do those things, ask yourself, is Jesus really worth it? Is Jesus really my Lord in this moment? Or am I my own Lord? Are my passions and the 
the, the flesh that wages war within me. Are these things my Lord? Is Jesus my Lord worth more than this desire to sin? So do not fear, but honor Christ, the Lord, as holy. That's how we honor Jesus in this life. That's how we stand firm. We ask ourselves in this moment, is Jesus truly my Lord? And and notice how he says, he says, uh, in your hearts, set apart Christ as holy. Hearts are the, the center of who we are, right? I remember reading that one of the greatest threats to Christianity today is the religion of self. Why? Because we do not honor Christ the Lord as holy. We want to honor ourselves. We want our sinful desires at the center of our hearts. So friends, do you honor Christ as holy? In your heart, do you honor Him as holy? At the center of who you are, are you living for Christ's glory? Or are you living for your own? And he continues here by, by showing us one of the ways that we do this, one of the ways that we set apart Christ in our hearts, we honor Christ in our hearts, is always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. So one of the ways we continue to honor Christ as holy, as our Lord, is being ready to make a defense. So honoring Christ through making a defense. That word there for defense, I mean, probably most of you know if you haven't studied the Bible out, there's probably a note at the bottom that said the, the, the word for defense there is the word that we use for apologetics today. The defense of the faith. It's where we where we get that word from the defending of the faith. But let me let me help you understand what it means or what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean that every Christian should make a study of academic and philosophical reasoning. We need people to do that. We need uh, those who study apologetics and, and are great defenders of the faith. But it doesn't mean that we have to dive into this huge academic study to be able to do what Peter is here. I love academic studies. You talk to me, I think academics are very important. Not the end all be all, but I think it's important, right? Philosophy, uh, doesn't that doesn't get me out of bed in the morning. But we need people to dive into deeply those issues and study them from an academic and philosophical standpoint to defend the faith. But that's not what Peter is referring to here. What Peter means here is that every Christian Everyone who confesses Christ as their Lord and Savior, everybody, every Christian needs to be able to, they need to be ready to explain why they believe what they believe. Why do you believe what you believe? For instance, someone were to ask you today, why do you have hope in the midst of this broken world? How can Christians, why, why should we have hope in the midst of all that's been going on over these last few years? Really, ever since the beginning of time. How can we have hope? I can followers of the one true God. Why do they have hope? Believer, how do you answer that question? Why do you believe in Jesus? 
Why is it, as we're going to sing at the very end, why is it that you would rather have Jesus than silver or gold? Why, do you, why would you seek to live for Him and glorify Him in your life? What's the basis of your hope? Search, search your heart and, and what would be your answer to that question? Maybe your answer has to do with the trustworthiness of Scripture. With the arguments from the eyewitnesses that we see in the New Testament, like in 1 Corinthians 15. Maybe your answer to that question has to do with the authority of Jesus. No one ever taught like this man. Maybe it includes, and it definitely should include, the life-transforming power of the gospel in your own life. As one pastor put it, maybe it relates to the evidence of the resurrection, the empty tomb, the power of changed lives. Maybe it, it has to do with fulfilled prophecy, with, with the compelling light of the glory of Christ shining in your heart. Maybe it has to do with your personal encounter with the living God. And certainly all of our defense, all of our reasons for hope, has some aspects of all of those. But whatever your answer is, it must be your answer. Not, not somebody else's answer. Whatever your answer for your hope in Jesus is, it has to be yours. Because Christ is not honored by just a blind faith. Christ will be honored by a well-grounded hope. Not, not your parents' hope. Not your friend's hope. Not your pastor's hope. Not a professor's hope. Not anybody else's hope. In your heart. No, it's your hope. Your hope that's within you. Maybe you grew up in the faith. And your parents faithfully took you to church. Week after week after week after week. Maybe you're like me and you were at church three or four times a week. And as I mentioned in Sunday school, I grew up in a Pentecostal church and we were there for hours at a time. Saturday night, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. Hours at a time. But my faith had become my own. My reason for the hope that I have in Jesus, my parents absolutely, they poured into my life, but it needed to become my own. That's the case for every single one of you. It doesn't matter if you've been in the church for 75 years. Is your hope in Jesus your own? What's the reason for your hope? A Christ-honoring response would not be, well, that's just the way I was raised. A Christ-honoring response is not simply, well, I'd rather live this way for Jesus, and it actually maybe be wrong, then shake a chance of it not being wrong. I shared with some of you before how I was watching TBN as a, as a teenager. My, my friend, we were making fun of the just crazy things that would happen on that uh, crazy Pentecostal um, uh, network. And I remember a lady. Uh, I can't remember her name, but she's certainly well-known. She had the blonde hair, and certainly if, if any of you watched TVN, you probably saw her in all of her, uh, her get-up. Um, she said, I'd rather live this way for being a Christian. I, she said, I would continue living, I'd live this way even if I knew it were not true. And I, I remember even as a teenager thinking, 
what, what crazy talk? What utter blasphemy? The Apostle Paul himself begs to differ, right? If Jesus has not been raised, then we're of all people the most to be pitied. So Jesus isn't honored by that, by that statement. He's saying, I'd rather take a chance of it being wrong and, and, and just live this way. Jesus is not honored by a blind faith. He's not honored by a hope that's not certain. So why do you hope? How would you answer that question? What's your defense of the hope? Here's the thing, friends. You don't have to have a doctorate. You don't have to have a master's. You don't have to have any kind of education to defend the reason for your hope. You simply need to trust in Christ as your Lord and Savior. And that's all you need to be able to defend the hope that we have in Jesus. And look what, what Peter is, is saying here. He's saying, always be ready, always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that's in you. Some people mistakenly take this as a passive approach to, to, to sharing the gospel and evangelizing. Well, I just, I just wait for somebody to ask me. No, 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 that's not the case. I, it, it's much deeper than, than that. He's saying, in other words, you're to live in such a way that people say, what's different about you? You, you, should, you should live in su such a beautiful life as we've seen Peter describing here that people ask you, what is different about you? You live in such a way, a, a life full of service, a life full of righteousness, a life that, that turns away from evil, that keeps your tongue from speaking evil, a life that's zealous for good works, a life that is lived with a good conscience, that, that you're to live in such a way that when people see how you respond, when somebody yells at you at work, or you're slandered, or you're reviled, people say hateful things about you, you do not respond to that evil with more evil, but you respond with gentleness and respect because you fear God ultimately and not man. So that people see the difference. in you. So how do we continue to honor Christ? We honor Christ by doing good. And we see that continued in, in verse, verse 16, having a good conscience. So that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. And right before that, he says, do it with gentleness and respect. Let's not get into those words. <laughs> right? Oh, Peter, we don't really need to be gentle. We don't really need to be respectful. I just say what comes to mind. I think that's the Spirit leading me. No. More often than not, it's just your own tongue leading you. He says, as we make our defense, do it with gentleness and respect. So how do we honor Christ? We do it by doing good. That includes gentleness and respect. I remember David in Sunday school one time saying, uh, he remembers a pastor saying, you know, when you're not sure of a point, you just... Pound the pulpit to make it seem like you're very, uh, you, you know what you're saying. And, and, and often that's the, that's the case, right? We try to make a point, we're not very sure about it, so we just shout louder. We see that in politics. Unfortunately, we see that in the church. 
there's a calmness, there's a humility, there is a self-control that should come from the hope that we have in Christ. And our hope that's in Christ is not passive. It doesn't mean that in our humility and our self-control we're passive and inactive. Rather, we see that, that it leads us to live this, this glorifying life through a zealous passion for Christ because of the hope that we have. And it leads to this godly behavior, this good behavior. The hope we have does not lead to us to look simply just inward and consider only our interests. Rather, it leads to action. It leads to a zealous and an active hope uh, that does not lead to zealous, uh, that does not lead to laziness, and it doesn't lead to sloth. Brothers and sisters, Jesus Christ did not die and rise from the dead for you to passively sit in a recliner and watch an endless cycle of talking heads on TV. He died so that you would actively serve him, so that the gospel would go forward here in this community to the ends of the earth. And so those who respond to your hope and to your beautiful life that you live in honoring Christ and hoping in him, those who slander and, and seek to do evil to you, look into God's promise to you here. As you're seeking to, to live this good, God-honoring, Christ-exalting, God-fearing life, spreading the good news of Christ crucified and Christ resurrected. Look what he says about those who seek to do evil to you. He says, having a good conscience so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. Friends, they're going to be put to shame. That should break our hearts, right? Knowing that they will be judged. That also gives us a confirmation that we can continue to seek to live for the Lord ultimately. Because our inheritance goes beyond the grave. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. So friends, what's the reason for your hope? How are you honoring Christ in the midst of suffering? Are you fearing Him? How are you defending the hope you have? How are you living this God-honoring life for His glory and the advancement of the gospel? Every church in history that has not reached out has closed its doors. One of the reasons why I think so few actually share their faith seems to be because of what Peter is talking about here. Fear. And because they are not consumed with this hope that they have within them. It seems like many people sh fail to share their faith with their neighbors, with their family, with their co-workers because we do not act or seem to be very hopeful. I often hear professing Christians talk more about the failures of the so-called Christian nation or the failures of politicians than they talk about the living hope we have in Christ. Could it be that, that so many churches fail to reach out because they've lost sight of the living hope that we have in Jesus. Often it seems like we're more full of hope in politics or presidential candidates than our hope in Jesus. So friends, what's the reason for your hope? Brothers and sisters, we must be able to answer that question. 
What's the reason for your hope? If we're not full of hope because of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, if the gospel does not give us that hope, then nothing can. Because the gospel is the only good news that saves. Our lives and our hearts and our speech must be so filled with hope as we seek to honor Jesus in this life. So friends, the future of First Baptist Church here in Oakers, the future of our convention of churches as good or as bad as it may seem, in the SBC, Southern Baptist Convention, depends on whether or not this hope really takes root in our lives. And we seek to reach this community with the gospel of Christ. And that's not going to take just one or two of us. It's not just a few of our leaders, but all of us. When was the last time you were so full of the hope that you had in Jesus that you shared it with somebody? It will take sacrifice. It will take overcoming the fear of man. Friends, Jesus is worth it. If you're here today, and you've not come to know this hope, here's how you can. It's by understanding that, that you are not perfect. Ask the person next to you if they're perfect. They say yes, they're lying to you. They're lying to you. So then you, you know they're not perfect. You're not perfect. None of us are. We are all sinners who've fallen short of the glory of God. And, and, and so we can't have hope in ourselves because we can't save ourselves. But God sent His one and only Son, Jesus Christ, to live a perfect life, to die on the cross and to rise from the dead so that we would have hope. So you can trust in Him. You can place your faith in Him. Say, God, I'm a sinner. I need your grace in my life. I cannot save myself. But Jesus can. And he's your only hope in life or in death. So place your trust in him. today. Turn from your sins and turn to Jesus. Maybe you're here today and you have committed your life to following Jesus. But you've not been baptized would keep you from following him obediently and testifying publicly that Jesus is your hope and that he is the source he is the he is he is the one who has saved you your hope is in Jesus how can you take this hope this week to your family to your neighbors to this community and to the nations brothers and sisters Will we be found faithful in how we have stewarded this hope? I hope when we stand before the Lord on Judgment Day, the answer to that question will be yes. We have been over the decades. Let's continue to do so. Let's be faithful. Let's be so full of hope that we can't help but share this hope that we have in Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we come before you now. We thank you for your love and for your grace and for your kindness to us. Lord, we don't deserve it. We often live like we deserve your grace. Lord, we truly don't. So thank you for your kindness, your love, in sending Jesus to save us from your sins so that you would be glorified, so that we could come to know you and we could be a part of your family. Father, I pray if there are any here today who have not placed their hope in Jesus, they would do so right now. They would call out to you to save them. 
their faith would be in Jesus Christ. That this hope that we've discussed here, it would be their hope that they have because of what Jesus has done for them. But for, for those of us who, who, who might be wavering in our hope and oftentimes get so discouraged by what we see happening around us, help us to hold on to that hope that we have because Jesus is alive. May we be so full of joy in the salvation that we have from you. And may we be so full of hope. We can't help but share it with those around us. And that we would live in such a way so that people would see the life-transforming power of the gospel. Pray these things in Jesus' name.